Baldy with you, Baldy Reports. With me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Bitts. But before we begin, we'd like to welcome the listeners from the Heroes Media Group. We'd like to thank you for your support, and we hope we're saying things that you would want to listen to. So how's it going, Joe? Like I said earlier, it's weird that there's a lot of things that are going on that when we saw Joe Biden and Donald Trump going at it, that the president was calling him out saying, are you going to do this? And are you going to do that? And it was not, he never said no, but he was like, just brush it off. Come on. Do you think I'm really going to do that? And just recently, Congress submitted, what did they do? They submitted a bill? Today, this is Thursday, Congress in the House and under the, the leadership of the House Judiciary Committee, that's Jerry Nadler from New York, him and a couple other congressional leaders and Senator Mackey from Massachusetts submitted legislation to pack the Supreme Court. They would add four jurists to the court. Now, last week, President Biden set up a commission that was going to report back within 100 days their recommendations for the Supreme Court. That could be pack the court. That could be term limits. That could be an age requirement. could be many things. So it hasn't been changed since, I think, 1869, right? 1869, there's been nine jurists. And, like, the end-all, be-all, even more than president, would be to be a Supreme Court justice because the only way you're getting out of that spot would be to either, one, resign or two, die. Retire. Now, just for our listener standpoint— since 1869, has been nine members of the Supreme Court. Yeah. It equals the amount of U.S. District Courts of Appeals. There's nine of them. So it's been like that since 1869. The last time a president tried to pack the Supreme Court didn't end too well. That was Franklin Roosevelt in 1937. And the reason he did it is because the the members of the Supreme Court, he said there's all these old guys who are not passing or not affirming my new deal legislation. Okay. He ruled a couple of things that were unconstitutional. So if Biden's doing it the same way from a progressive standpoint, saying, fine, I'm not going to get anything passed unless I have the courts in my favor. Isn't that cheating in a sense? It's beyond cheating. It's you're changing the rules because they believe we got the legislative branch. We got the executive branch. We need the Supreme Court to rule in what we want. Now, that could be eliminating the Second Amendment, because remember, Joe Biden did say when he talked about his his executive orders on firearms that no amendment is absolute. Mm -hmm. Now, what the media didn't ask and or didn't question him on and nor did he take questions. What did you mean by the amendments are not absolute? Does that mean the First Amendment, the freedom of religion is not absolute? We, We so there's a lot of questions that should have been chills up someone's spine when you said the amendments are not absolute i think it was to a lot of people but it was to me and but i I still don't think people may maybe fully understand they're doing some other things too like they want to have washington dc as their own pretty much make it a state so they can have their own congress people and their own senators what that would do is that would automatically give them Two U.S. senators, and they want to make Puerto Rico a state because that would give Puerto Rico two extra senators, and that would make it very difficult for the Republicans ever to take the the Senate. So it seems like the left is kind of manipulating 
the the face of of the white of, of Washington just to favor them. And it has it always been a us versus them, or has it just recently been an us versus them? I would say we've always had contentious parts in our history. Prior to the Civil War, it was very contentious, probably yeah. more so than it is now, and eventually erupted into an armed Civil War. But this is like the Hatfields and McCoys but kind of thing like that. There's like a rivalry going on here. Time, it's in the modern era, it's almost if we lost, they've got to be a reason why we lost. Just take Donald Trump. When Donald Trump won in 2016, the... The Democrats, the left, Hillary Clinton, and the establishment Democrats, they just couldn't quite understand why how any sane person voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. So they pushed the false narrative of Russian collusion. And even today, in 2020, with all the pro- – we've talked about this show on this program after he Trump lost the election. Some of the things he did made my skin crawl, but – People need to understand why individuals voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Case in point, January 20th, Joe Biden is an inaugurated president. His first official act, or one of his first official act, was he signed an executive order ending the Keystone XL pipeline. 11,000 jobs were eliminated. Those jobs were blue-collar workers. Whose job gets eliminated when both Republicans and Democrats sign trade deals? It wasn't the academics. It wasn't the media. It wasn't the coastal elites. It was the blue-collar worker, the manufacturers, the people who get their hands dirty. Yeah, They're the ones that get sold down the river. It's just like when they passed Obamacare. Yeah, it gave millions of people health care. But who paid for that? Middle-class Americans who didn't qualify for the subsidies but just made a little bit too much to get those subsidies, but they don't make enough to get health insurance on their own. So their premiums went up, their deductibles went up. So basically they have health insurance they can't use except when they have a major illness and they got to pay $10,000 deductible to get that insurance issued. Yeah. And then you have this dismissive view when President Obama, then candidate Obama in 2008 said, oh, yeah, these people just cling to their guns and religion. So you got this establishment that just looks down upon the, the worker bees. And it seems like they've also segmented us into white Anglo-Saxon. That was a, a Barack Obama thing. He came in and really played up identity politics. It yeah. worked for him because he was the first African-American president. But then the, when the Democrats came in with Hillary Clinton and when she lost, then they just put it on steroids. Everything is white supremacy. You got this progressive squad by Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Rashid Tlaib, Congresswoman Omar, who is from Somalia. They pushed this narrative that if a minority doesn't get anything, it's got to be because of race. Yeah. Instead of looking at, which I've said, and I know you're going to vomit when I say this, but what I've said is America systematically racist or is it just failed policies of the Democratic Party? I think it's the failed policies of the Democratic Party. Look at the schools. The schools are atrocious especially for minorities. So going back into packing the court, uh, so over the past four years, Donald Trump has pretty much changed the face of the Supreme Court. Well, he changed the face of the Supreme Court by adding three jurors or three justices. But the real change of the courts is when he, with Mitch McConnell and then Senator Grassley, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, they've really reshaped the federal judiciary. Most of the jurists are young, they believe in 
following the law. They call them textualists, if I pronounced it right, Mm -hmm. meaning you go by the law as it was written. Case in point, there was a law that got overturned. It was affirmed at the Supreme Court. And what it was a sexual discrimination against transgenders and the LBGTQ community. Yeah. But the proponents of that discrimination went off a 1964 law that was passed by Congress. That was based off of sexual discrimination against women. All the arguments, nobody in 1964 contemplated LBGTQ issues. Trans, transgender homosexual that just wasn't part of it what they want to do is get the supreme court to uphold what did the law mean that they've tried to pass not what you think it meant and it's just like antonio scalia i read a book by him it's called scalia's court what he wanted is the the congress but mainly a lot of the social issues to be debated at the state level as the founders intended. Yeah. Not nine jurors or nine justices deciding this. It's just like abortion. Everybody says abortion's legal. Okay, got it. But what does that mean? Does that mean a 16-year-old girl? You have a daughter. I know she's over 18. But let's say when she was 15, 16 years old, and I'm sorry I'm using this analogy, but let's say she's 16. She comes home, she says she's pregnant. Can she get an abortion without parental consent? That's tough for me. She can go. Some people advocate that she can get an abortion without parental consent. But yet, when I was at a church youth event, one of the kids asked me for an aspirin. I said, I can't give you aspirin. But yet we're going to allow them to get a medical procedure without parental consent. Yeah, yeah that's also the, what's going on in the face of the, being a transgender. If they decide at six years old that they want to be a boy or a girl, then, you know, all mom and dad has to do is let them administer whatever uh, drugs or hormones they need in order to do that. And yet I don't necessarily agree with that. There's a lot of changes. That's why those issues should not be left because all the courts said with abortion is legal, but they didn't talk about all these other little nuances. Yeah. And now we're finding out about late-term abortion and an infant side that the governor of the Democratic governor of Virginia was advocating. And he's, this is why they want the Supreme Court, so they can get all their things passed. So yeah. they can't right now. So what they uh, they are advocating is then, as an example, Stephen Breyer, the ju- one of the, the justices on this, very liberal, he spoke out against it, saying, don't do that because you're going to fundamentally alter America's judicial system. And what did the progressives want to do? He needs to go. He needs to retire. That's why they wanted Ruth Bader Ginsburg to retire while President Obama was president. So then he could appoint her successor. Yeah, that didn't happen. So when you start to politicize the court, this person should retire so we can get our you're changing that you're fundamentally altering the American judicial system for partisan purposes. That's not the way it should be done. Yeah. And then so like the way it works is that all 13 or okay all nine right at the time have to decide oh it's majority rules when it comes in the favor of whatever because case that's why we have not nine of each of the courts of appeal but it has to be majority rule when scalia died it just left a vacuum for few things passed 
with the majority, but everything was 4-4 because the liberal members of the court, and right now that's Stephen Breyer, that's Alana Kagan, and that's uh, Mayor, they vote in a block with when it was um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg there. They okay. won't cross over. Who would Biden put in there in order to fill those seats? That's a good question. Now, he did say openly that he would pick a woman of color. Okay. So it's going to be a black woman. Now, I don't know who's out there, but it's going to be someone very progressive. But you're only talking about one. There's, you got three more to go. There's a lot of, there's a lot of judges, attorneys, because you don't have to be a judge to be on the Supreme Court. You don't. You have to be a lawyer. You got to be a lawyer. You've got to go through the American, you get rated by the American Bar Association, which has become very liberal. Mm -hmm. So that's not really there, but you don't really, there's been, I can't, without going back and doing my history, I have to go back and look, but you don't have to be a judge. You just have to be a lawyer to be on the Supreme Court. Until I guess they have about a hundred and is it a hundred days or 180 days in order to, because there's a, a council to see what they want to do with the Supreme Court, including putting term limits on them. And there was a term limits. There was an age restriction. There was a vote. The reason why the founders made a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court is they didn't want it to be politicized, that you have to run for re-election. Now, it's interesting, just because a president selects a member to be and get confirmed by the Senate, that doesn't mean that judge went along with that party's ideology. A real great case in point is in the early 50s, President Eisenhower nominated, and he was confirmed to be the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, was Earl Warren. Earl Warren became one of the most liberal members of the court. A lot of the bills that passed the uh, landmark was at 1956 to Topeka, Kansas, for the first the Board of Education. A lot of our laws, like the Miranda rights, were passed. One thing I didn't re- I forgot about was, and I think it was 62 or 63. When you got charged with a crime, you didn't. You weren't afforded an attorney. The only time you got an attorney is if it was a capital crime. Okay. So if you got arrested for armed robbery or burglary, you had to come up with your own lawyer. Oh. And that, I believe, was Gideon versus the Florida Department of Corrections. True, but I, usually the public defender aren't that great or another public defender. but they... You get a public defender. Yeah. But back then, you didn't get that. You had to go find your own lawyer. Or- yep, but the way it works now is that those public defenders now are just so overwhelmed that they're just cutting deals. Well, but yes whether you're, no. whether you're mean, innocent or guilty anyway. Yes, no, but a lot of the public defenders, they are truly do good work. They try to represent their clients. I know everybody says, well, this person this shouldn't get a lawyer. Everybody deserves yeah. a lawyer. Everybody deserves the key point is due process. So I was thinking maybe we can cut over to Russia. And I wanted to talk to Russia because something came up in the news today about, and I just want to get your take on it because I think it'd be definitely interesting. And I think that Russia has been villainized. It was really villainized in the Cold War. After September 11th, they went to the back burner a little bit because we're more about Middle East and terrorists and focusing on that. And then as Trump started making his way in, Russia started coming back into the fold. Now, I don't think they ever went away, but they were just maybe mentioned a little bit more. And then, of course, there was Russian collusion and stuff like that. Trump put sanctions on Russia, and now Biden has put sanctions on Russia. What is 
our problem with Russia right now? I think the big problem with Russia is goes back to the Russian collusion because Donald Trump won. Hillary Clinton had to find a way to say why she lost, so she came up with this. Because remember during the 2016 campaign, Donald Trump, hey, Russia, if you've got this thing, go ahead and hack into. Yeah. So that didn't play well, but it put that feelers out. But when they pushed that narrative, there was no evidence. Robert Mueller's report showed no evidence. But with Russia, I would say it goes back even further. And I'll just consolidate down to Reader's Digest. After the end of the Cold War, the United States was the sole superpower. Economically, military, culturally, we were it. Russia was pushed off to the back burner. You had Boris Yeltsin, and there was a lot of corruption. There's a lot of problems in Russia. And Russia felt that we exploited them or we snubbed their nose. Now, Vladimir Putin makes the comment that NATO expanded eastward, which when they did the reunification of Germany, when George W. Bush was president, there was an agreement that he told Mikhail Gorbachev that we would not go eastward. Okay. And Russia believes that we made that promise. Everybody there can say that, that there was nothing made like that. So then you go into the 90s, we went eastward, and then we bombed a historical Russian ally, Serbia, during the Balkan Wars. That, they didn't like that. Then we just kept doing some things that they didn't like. We went into Iraq. They didn't like that because that used to be a client state of theirs. And then Putin comes along, and he wants to resurrect Russia to their old glory days. Okay, because he's former KGB. He's a former he's former KGB, but people need to not read more into that. He looks at the Soviet Union as another name for Mother Russia. Okay. He's a Russian nationalist, so we need to look at that. Now, Russia has a, has a military. they got a, a nuclear weapons, but Russia's economy is even below Italy. They're a second-rate economic power. They're mostly a gas station. That you, that's all they have. So when oil was up to $100 a barrel, Russia was high and flying high and right. Then when oil plummeted, and then when Donald Trump comes along, what does he do? He makes America the energy-independent country. We don't need this stuff from you guys. And he and oil prices plummeted because we started doing our own energy. Mm -hmm. We became the largest exporter of energy. So is Russia the bad guy or the enemy, or is, it, Russia, is there any reason why we should be putting these sanctions on them? Yes, because Russia is doing everything it can to. They're colluding with China to undermine the world order that was set at the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944. That was liberal. We liberalized. Not in the political liberal sense, but we liberalize free trade, open markets, the, the right of people to do things in a democratic system. Mm -hmm. Russia and China want to get rid of that. Beijing wants to be the center of everything. And Russia is being like their ally, but behind where they're at. Yeah. China's much more advanced economically than Russia ever was. I'm seeing it maybe as a strategic standpoint. Russia wants to hop in on China, let them do the dirty work, and then they just come in behind them. Yeah, yeah, that could be a, a reason. But they just want to show, hey, we're it. Russia and Putin is playing to Russian nationalism. The problem is, like right now, they're building up forces along the Ukrainian border. And what that is... They're testing Joe Biden because mm -hmm. right now you have Chinese aircraft flying around and military provocations against Taiwan. And China's national security components, and including ours, our counterparts in China and us, 
That was led by Tony Blinken, Secretary of State. Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, went to Anchorage, Alaska last month, and China just tore into the United States. Yeah. So they perceive America as weak because right now Biden is talking about reducing defense. He's talking about, like he said, transgenders can now serve openly. They can have sexual assignment surgery. All these things. Then he cut back military funding to Ukraine. So they're allowing Nord Stream 2, the oil pipeline from Russia to Germany to go through. So Russia sees weakness in Joe Biden. Is Biden making us weak in a sense? Is he like on purpose? Is he- He's not doing it on purpose. It seems. But his policies are. And here's the point that I got. And I would state countries don't go to war with you when you're strong. They go to war with you when you perceive you're weak. Now, in the 1930s and early 40s, the Axis powers perceived the West to be weak. So after the war was over, they asked those who were still alive and documents they found, especially like in Japan and Germany, why did you think you could beat the Western powers when their industrial capacity far outstripped yours? We didn't think you would fight because of all the things that you said and did. Actions speak louder than words. Biden talks tough, but he carries a twig. Now, with Donald Trump, as much as people can say about Donald Trump, he's bombastic, he's a narcissist, he's an egomaniac and all that stuff. Okay, got it. But when he said something, he meant it. Yeah. And the Chinese and Russians didn't know what to deal with him because he was unpredictable. And remember what he said? He, He took out General Soleimani? the one who was responsible for thousands of American deaths, took him out in a drone strike, and he said, you mess with us again, we're going to do the same thing. The Iranians didn't do anything. Look at all the military movements between China and Russia now compared to what happened under Trump. So should America be more in fear now than... It's not fear. We just need to start to wake up. Yeah. Like our defense, and we've mentioned it on this program, we spend over $700 billion on defense. Now, we spend on a lot of areas that we probably shouldn't, and there's areas that we should fund that we didn't. Now, General Jack Keane, who used to be the f- former vice chief of staff of the Army, mentioned in, in Asia, we need to move some forces around to show the Chinese that we're not going away. Yeah. Even the, the admiral in charge of U.S. Pacific Command spoke on Capitol Hill in the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he was laid out his concerns what China's doing. Yeah. And the big flashpoint could be Taiwan. Is America prepared? But like I said, you don't go to countries don't go to war with America when they perceived us to be strong. They go to war with us when they perceived us to be weak. But they only think we're weak due to our leadership or lack of. I think our military forces are probably just as strong as ever. Well, they are. But look what you're seeing. You've seen a lot of the readiness issues. We're seeing they're doing an extremist training. This Our adversaries see this. Now there was something on the news that, led by Elizabeth Warren, she's trying to push legislation that America wouldn't use nuclear weapons, wouldn't use nuclear weapons first. Okay. Okay, now I'm nobody... Cool. I'm, I'm cool with that. Okay, but <laughs> nobody wants to use nuclear weapons. Yeah, that's the last when, resort. But when you telegraph your to your enemies would you, would, what you wouldn't do... That's a problem. You want to keep them guessing. Like in the 1950s, President Eisenhower was president. And there was many times the adversaries like China, Russia, didn't know what he was going to do. 
Now, when he became president, he says, I'm going to go to Korea. He goes to Korea, assesses it. And when they were at a logger's head, and there was reports, how true it is, I'm not really sure, but there was a report that he sent a message to India, who then cabled that message to China, that if the Chinese don't come to the negotiate and, and negotiate in good faith, we will use everything at our disposal to end this war. Okay, yeah. Now, remember, General Eisen, uh, President Eisenhower was a general during World War II. What did that mean? Because remember, a f- few years before that, we used nuclear weapons against Japan. Yeah, that was a clear message, too. But when you keep your enemy guessing, they don't know what you're going to do. So right now, we're looked at as perceived weak. Now, look at Trump. Forget the politics. Look at Trump. Trump was energetic. He could run laps. Look at Joe Biden. He looks frail. He looks weak. Now the question, is he in charge? Is it Kamala Harris, the vice president? Is it Susan Rice, domestic policy advisor? Or is it Ron Klein, his chief of staff? He doesn't hold press conferences. He doesn't do anything at night. He doesn't engage the media. Well, and something we can look forward to is that Nancy Pelosi did invite him to speak in Congress for the the State of the Union. On the 28th of April. Then I'm actually looking forward to that because it's just definitely to see how the Republicans are going to react to because the Democrats did nothing but turn their back every time Trump had something to say. So I'd like to see if if it's like a tit for tat, but also. If the Republicans are smart, just be gracious, cheer when they need to cheer, like something happens to the economy, stand up. They're going to scare them every time they clap. So we'll see. Okay. And then for our listeners, we'd like to hear your input, especially some questions you might have either about the impact in the Supreme Court or about what's going on with Russia, sanctions, and what we can probably look what else we can maybe going on with the uh, country and how John, how can they uh, ask you those questions? They can go to Ubaldi reports at gmail.com. That's Ubaldi reports at gmail.com. They can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram type in Ubaldi reports. If you go to Facebook, you can check out Ubaldi reports group. Also what we started, we're just trying to get the bugs worked out is we're going to be live streaming these podcasts and put it on our multiple platforms. So we'll keep, just be prepared for that. Joe, now why don't you tell our listeners what else we're going to be doing? So we're going to have a uncensored, more opinionated podcast. That's going to be probably one a week, uh, giving you a total of four months of a, you know, uncensored podcast. It's going to be called the Ubaldi Reports Declassified, where John and I really get into it. It's going to be through Patreon so that you can help contribute to the show by, for as little as a dollar. And that kind of goes into John and I being able to provide you with more content, not only through the Patreon show, the uh, Ubaldi Reports Declassified, but also through Ubaldi Reports and Ubaldi Briefs. Keep on listening for that, and we will start sending out links when that is up and running. And everybody have a good day. Yep. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports. So until next time, keep listening.